Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to a very special review of Baby Driver from Edgar Wright back in 2017. Uh, This is your co-host Alan, and again, I have two guests from the last podcast, uh, Andrew and Tommy. Say hello, you guys. Howdy. Hello, Andrew is shirtless. I am shirtless right now. It's too hot, so I took it off. You know what that means? The party podcast is back. Well, okay, so yeah, we're reviewing Baby Driver back from 2017. How did you guys see this? Because I watched it one day before I went to my calculus class. I had a couple free hours and nothing to do, and it was a movie that I wanted to see, so I caught it right before I had to go to class. But how did you guys end up seeing this? All right, so I remember actually seeing a trailer for this in the theaters, uh, I can't remember what movie back in 2017 I went and saw back home, but I was with some of my uh, hometown friends and we were we were going to the, the theater and th- it wasn't like your typical trailer. It was like what you see at the very beginning of the of the Blu-ray where they have like the behind the scenes kind of and the interviews of the cast and talking kind of their not their point of view, but they're kind of giving a synopsis of the story for you. Um, I remember we saw that and that was kind of a weird way to kind of introduce a movie. So I remember seeing that and my friends and I were like, well, that was weird, but we should see it because I saw it. I was like, oh, that's Edgar Wright. That's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I'm like, so it's going to be super artsy. It's going to be kind of cool. I'm going to I'm going to check that out. And we ended up going and seeing it in theaters when it came out in, within the coming year. And um, I enjoyed it. I had the I have the movie poster, which I actually recently found at home in our storage room and it was ripped up and I felt really sad because I really liked the poster, but sometimes that happens. But yep, I saw it back in 2017 theaters and uh, it was a good, it was a good theater experience for me. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, I can't remember a lot of these things. I'm not very good with memory in general. So if you ask me where I can't, probably back at home with some friends. If that's right, if that's wrong, then it was probably with you. Did I show you this movie? I know I showed you Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Oh, if, yeah. Because Scott Pilgrim was like my intro intro to um, Edgar Wright, and we Corbin and I reviewed that a while ago. But I, I can't remember if I ever if I if I showed this one to you or not. I don't remember. I feel like you introduced me to it. If not, then we okay. wa- then we watched it at home with family. I'm sure. Yeah, I was. I'm sure we did. Maybe it's just you and I and one of our other cousins or something. Remember we, right. We definitely watched this amongst the multitude of movies we watched while in college. I'm sure we, oh, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. Well, yeah, so this is a movie that, so this was released, um, well, I guess to, to preface, uh, I think I may have mentioned this in our Scott Program podcast, I don't actually remember, but uh, Scott Program was the one that introduced me to Scott, to uh, Edgar Wright, um, or at least got me like crazy for Edgar Wright. I may have saw, I may have seen um, Hot Fuzz before that. Either way, when I saw that Baby Jar was coming out, I was very excited to see that in the theater. And so I tried my best to get at some point, get around to seeing it, which again, I, I did because I had a free uh, about hour, or about three hours before class. But uh, anyways, let's get into a little bit of background info here. Um, 
this was nominated for three um, Oscars. Film editing, sound mixing, and sound editing. Um, which is kind of funny because it lost all three of those against to Dunkirk. Dunkirk won all three of those. Um, but it was nominated for those three. And I remember when Corbin and I were talking about the Oscars for that year, um, back in 2018, I said, I think it deserves film editing. But I remember I also said that Dunkirk also, even though I walked away with it, I was not sad that Dunkirk got it. What do you guys think? I can agree to that. Uh, they did use two editors in this one, actually. I can't remember their names. But they used two editors in that probably means something they can probably pick up on each other's weaknesses or maybe because one only made it halfway through or something along those lines. But uh, I don't know what happened with Dan Kirk on how many editors they have, but they do have Christopher Nolan and we do have Edgar White. So I guess there's the handoff there, but we know that Edgar White's been sitting on this for a long time. Right. With I, the intro being like in his head and then just kind of creating the concept off of that. Right. Yeah, this was a idea of his for more than 20 years before he filmed uh, his first feature, which was uh, Shaun of the Dead, I think. Um, no, I think there was one before that, but Shaun of the Dead was like the one that made him like big. But that was this is back in like 95 when he had this idea. It was Brighton Rock. No, no, sorry. It was Bell Bottoms he heard. And he was like, man, this would make a great entrance or I made a great opening scene to a car or to a car chase. Um, but yeah, so as we can kind of clearly see, uh, music is a big focus of this movie. And so I'm not surprised that it got sound mixing um, or sound editing because uh, and, fi and film editing because they're all kind of based around that same idea, if editing around the music and so on. Yeah, as much as I love this movie, I think Dunkirk deserved it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not because I'm Nolan's biased hype man or anything. It's because I just genuinely think, um, you know, you listen, you listen to the Dunkirk in a proper theater and you'll understand. Yes, that's Oscar worthy. But Maybe if, you know, Dunkirk never existed, Baby Driver would definitely have won these categories because it's just it, the precision it took to um, to shoot these scenes and then later put the edit the music to it to all make it roll and just flawlessly play out. Man, it, it it's it's satisfying. It's beautiful. Yeah. So uh, here, let's get into a bit of money here. Budget of $34 million. Opening weekend made $20.6 million. Domestically overall, $107.8 million. Foreign markets at $120 million. Um, a little bit over $120 million. Worldwide total of $228.1 million. So I would say that just having Edgar Wright's name on it, it could be from definitely from past movies, maybe from uh, Scott Pilgrim. I know it was a pretty big, a pretty all right hit. Um, Hot Fuzz. And then most recently before this, he did At World's End. Mm -hmm. which was kind of like the capstone for a a, tri a soft trilogy that he had going on. So uh, it looks to me from the numbers here, um, having Edgar Wright's name on a picture that looks to be like an act, a car, a, I guess it's a, uh, the subgenre would be a heist movie. Um, having his name on it definitely helped this in the theaters. Yeah. I was just about to say without Edgar Wright's name and his, uh well, what he brings to the film and his his ideas, uh, this this movie would be a very typical crime action film with really no purpose, I guess, to it. And it's just not it wouldn't be as interesting as you think. But because Edgar Wright put his pizzazz to it, you have a you have a pretty stylistic movie. Yeah. And Edgar is known for making kind of wacky movies um, that may have a 
a premise, a central premise that seems somewhat cliche on the outside, but when you get into it, how much detail he puts into it and how much time and effort he puts into crafting a world and writing a unique story always pays off in the end. Even like Hot Fuzz is, uh, is supposed to be like a, a satire of buddy cop movies. But he starts off with that idea, but then walks down this road that just gets so wacky towards the end of it that it makes it such an interesting experience to watch. Um, so that's kind of what I was expecting coming into this. I was thinking, okay, well, this is Edgar Wright. I mean, I've seen him before. I know of him. Um, he's a name that I very much enjoy. So I was curious to see, you know, what would Baby Driver have being his newest feature? I think as of right now, I don't think there's a been one since 2017 from him. So yeah, I was curious to see by the time, you know, what is Edgar Wright going to do now with a, because I had a, at the time, this is my very first feature of him seeing him, seeing a previous movie of his that I'd be seeing in the theater. So I was I was really excited to see you know what is he going to what is he going to do now because this is a new feature from him one I haven't seen yet. All right, well we're about to get into spoilers. It's about to we're about to get into the meat of the of the podcast. Meat. Yes. So if you haven't watched Baby Driver, um, I would highly I would highly recommend that you do. Um, you I think you can find it on Netflix. You used to be able to I think that's where I watched it at one point too. It was on Netflix before I ended up grabbing the Blu-ray. Um, but it shouldn't be very hard to find, I wouldn't think. So if you haven't watched it yet, you can go watch it on Netflix if it's there or rent it. Um, and then you, of course you can come back, hit play, and we'll be ready to talk about it. But from here on out, spoiler warning. Baby Driver opens with our main character, Baby, played by Ansel Elgort, as a driver for a bank robbery. After successfully evading the police to the tune of Bell Bottoms by the John Spencer Blues' explosion, Baby grooves the Harlem Shuffle when getting coffee. One more job and we're straight, Doc says, played by Kevin Spacey. You see, Baby always has headphones in. Every job he works on, he's put to music. He constantly listens to it because he has tinnitus, which is what which he got from an accident back when he was a young kid, which killed both of his parents. Between jobs, Baby starts dating a new waitress at Bo Zander named Deborah, played by Lily, played by Lily James. Doc calls and informs Baby of his new job, hitting an armored truck while transferring cash with three new criminals. Eddie, played by Flea, JD, played by Lanny June, and Bats, played by Jamie Foxx. Unfortunately, the job goes south, and a good civilian chases down the group. They're able to escape, and Baby finally pays off Doc. Believing he is free, he takes Deborah out into a fancy restaurant, only to find Doc there. Another job, while not in debt, Doc threatens Baby to continue working for him, otherwise harm will come to those he loves. A third crew consists of Buddy, played by Joe Hamm, and Darling, played by Eliza Gonzalez, and Bats are planning to hit the United States Post Office to grab thousands of dollars in money orders. Doc sends a group to get the weapons, but Bats believes they are actually cops, and a shootout commences to the tune of tequila. However, the contacts were dirty cops on Doc's payroll, but the job continues. Baby drops off the crew and waits in the back when he sees the teller he met earlier about to walk into work. Baby signals her to leave, and the group returns. Instead of escaping, Baby accelerates into a trailer in front of them, killing Bats. Baby Buddy and Darling escape the vehicle and are chased on foot by cops. Darling is killed in the shootout. Baby grabs Deborah and heads to Doc for help, but he refuses. Buddy shows up to kill Baby, blaming him for the darling's death. Buddy runs over Doc and chases Baby and Deborah up the parking garage to the tune of Brighton Rock by Queen. Buddy's car plummets down to the bottom level, leaving the three to fight it out. Buddy is eventually bested and falls into his burning car. Deborah and Baby escape, but a police blockade stops them. They arrest Baby and send him to jail for 25 years, but five years on parole. After serving his sentence, Baby exits the jail, being picked up by Deborah as they hop into a vehicle that they can't afford and head down Highway 20 with a plane they don't have as credits roll. All right, well, let's go ahead and start off with this opening scene, um, because as Edgar Wright has said, 
um, this opening scene was kind of always in his mind um, before he even actually started like writing the script for it. This was always his original idea when making Baby Driver. Um, and it's played to the tune, as I mentioned in the plot summary, played to the tune of Bell Bottoms by the John, ooh, let me follow the name real quick. Uh, the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Um, what are your guys' thoughts seeing this as like the opening to the film, all of these actions being put to music? Um, what are your thoughts on seeing something like this? I will tell you right now, I remember immediately being drawn in. I'm, I'm talking like within the first three seconds. Um, from the, the exterior shot of the bank to all of a sudden the rim of the car just pulling right into the shot. Uh, to them getting out and baby just kind of sitting there all stern faced. Um, immediately, you know, he starts playing the music. He just starts jamming out uh, there. He's like drumming on the steering wheel and um, he turns on the windshield wipers and it's, you know, it's going to the beat uh, stuff like that. I just, I appreciate, I like finding that joy um, either on or off the job with music. Like I do the exact same thing when I'm driving down a highway, I'll be like slapping the wheel and doing all that kind of stuff. But like I, like as, as we're saying that, it draws you in with like all that, uh, all the, um, the timing of how babies and baby's personality, I guess. Um, and you don't, you don't even get to see the inside of the, uh, of the heist happening. It's all from yeah. baby's perspective. He's just, you just watched him jam while the chaos is unfolding inside. You can see it through the windows, but you know, you're focused on baby. He's doing his thing. Yeah. And I do want to come back to that, that, uh, what you just said, how we're kind of, on the outside of the job in a second. First, I want to hear what Andrew's thoughts are on this opening scene. Um, mostly editing wise, like what do you, th what is, what is sticks out to you the most with this opening scene when it comes to editing? It's there. Let okay. me tell you, <laughs> but editing, editing is this thing where it's supposed to be hidden. Okay. So a lot of the cuts that you're not supposed to see, a lot of the transitions you're not supposed to notice really for the long part, they do. I want to say they go to do a good job at hiding it and shoving it down your throat at the exact same time. Cause what they do is they obviously cut it to music. They, it, it feels like the, um, what, uh, oh, what's his name? The director that did Edgar, Kill Bill. Oh, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. Quinn Tarantino finds a song before he writes a scene sometimes is what he does. I feel like this is kind of that way, but instead it's more of a, uh, editing style because he heard the song bell bottoms like you said and he was like i want to do a car chase over the scene and then having it cut editing is like i said before editing is there and it's supposed to be hidden but at the same time it is very in your face about it because there's these cuts on not every beat but it's on the beat there's movements happening within the scene that are supposed to happen like they are happening in the song kind of like the uh, this is a little ahead of ourselves, but the first scene where it's just one steady cam shot going through the city, yeah. showing a happy city, everything that's happening around him in the environment is a part is like a part of the song with him. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of getting us into the mind of our main character, baby, where his, uh, we see throughout the film, he's pretty much constantly, constantly listening to music. That's because as is stated in the plot summary, he has tinnitus, which means that if he doesn't have something going on, he has ringing in his ears, which can cause a lot of discomfort. Um, so 
we kind of get an inside look, especially in the scene when he goes to get coffee, uh, and and here too. But we got we do get to see like how he perceives the world around him, um, how he listens to music all the time. You know, how does that affect his way of life? And as we see with his opening, not only with the car chase, but also him just sitting in the car, he's moving to the music. He's like hitting the wipers, so they go to the music as well, like things like that, right? But I do want to come to what uh, what. Tommy had said, which is that we don't get to see the inside of the heist, which is kind of funny because one of uh, twin Tarantino's movies is Reservoir Dogs, where we don't actually see the heist itself. We just see the before and the after effects of that heist and how it went wrong. And it's kind of the same thing here. Um, we don't get to ever see the heist go down because we're always in the car with Baby. And that was one of Edgar Wright's uh, influences was Reservoir Dogs. Um, which I mean, I think is pretty pretty clear here in this opening scene and throughout the movie with these heists. But I think it's interesting that, you know, again, we're not a part of the heist. We're only sitting in the car with the getaway driver. I think that's an interesting idea that they take, um, not putting us in the shoes, not getting letting us experience what it would be like to ha be in the same place as the other villain or the other criminals when the heist is happening. So I like also taking things from a different perspective and throwing different ways to look at it on. So seeing a heist movie from the getaway driver's perspective is completely different, but we are also very much invited into his head. He doesn't go, he doesn't act like a heist member, like all the other, he doesn't act like any of the other heist members that are being hired, especially when they think that he's one of them. When they come back to the car in the first scene and he points forward, he goes backwards. That's just the first thing we know about him is that he's a fun kid. And then after that, he just doesn't kind of, he doesn't follow what they follow. Right. Yeah. And so this is also kind of pulls into, I guess, one of the ideas that I saw in this movie. And that's uh, Baby doesn't really ever make his own decisions. At least not within the first uh, I would say probably about hour ish or so. It doesn't. He doesn't start making decisions until after he starts. Meet, after he meets Deborah, and then he starts, you know, falling in love with her, and their relationship begins growing. And he wants to go um, on this adventure with her, like they had talked about. Like I want to go drive down Highway Twenty in a car we can't afford and with a plane we don't have. Right. This is that. There's a sense of freedom when it comes to Deborah, and it sound and it feels like, especially with Doc. Um, that Baby is, in the opening, he's indebted to Doc, um, but even after he pays Doc off, after doing two jobs and gets enough money to, you know, pay back with Doc what he had, what he had um, lost from him, uh, there's still that sense later on when they're in the diner, or not the diner, but the restaurant, where Doc says, yeah, I, I, you pay me off, but uh, you're not done, right? You're, we still have jobs to do. So it gives this sense that Baby is just kind of being, his life is being controlled. Um, even though he's genuinely a good person. That's one thing I really find interesting, which is what I'll say is this opening sequence when they're walking around uh, or when, when baby is walking to get the coffee um, for the heist team members. Um, I believe it's it, that coffee runs like a, a post post heist, right? Yeah, that's after the after they finish the heist. <laughs> that's right. Um, this happens twice. It hap he he go after they get done with the heist, then they get back to meet Doc. Then he goes and gets coffee. Right, and you have that that opening with um, well the title screen with the start of Jump Around, 
goes with that those horns. But then it goes into another song, and Baby's he's just kind of skipping around town, and he's just enjoying the music he's listening to. Um, I and mean, he's just kind of like going with the way of like what people are doing too. Uh, I, I like if you look at every little detail, everything in there just fits with the music or just what he, he just fits in with everything that's going on. It's just how he is. He's a carefree. Um, there, there's a, like, there's like little moments in there where the lyrics will go. Yeah. Or something. And it'll be written on the, on the, um, like the light post or a, a yeah. signpost right. as he's walking by it or the graffiti will say slide or something like that. And then there's like a trumpet break and he'll play the trumpet break. But right as soon as that trumpet break hits, he's right in front of a music store with a bunch of trumpets behind him. And he just, he blares like he imitates a trumpet playing and it's, it's just how it all fits together. I, I, I freaking love it. Yeah. It's highly satisfying. And Edgar Wright apparently had to time, um, everything that had happened that long unbroken shot to that song. So their movement was all to the beat of that song and they had to time it out perfectly. I think it's incredible. Yeah. I, when I was doing the background for this, I saw that when it came to three, there are three big sequences in general. There's the opening with bright, uh, not bright and rock. That's the last one. Mm. There's the opening with bell bottoms. The one where he gets the coffee run uh, with uh Harlem shuffle. And then at the end with bright and rock. And they said that, those three sequences, then Tequila, I think, was also one of them. Yeah. Um, but those sequences where they like they really harkened down and they really matched the to the music. Those were just when when it came to choreography, just in general, was hard to do because uh, you know everything has to be like on beat. It has to be perfect. It's not like a typical, I guess, how you normally shoot something where yeah, you have timings and you have movements, but it's not necessarily to um, to a song, right? Because at the time, they had already picked out the songs, which would probably make it harder if they hadn't. Um, but they had to match it perfectly on beat to the song. I think they had to redo that opening scene like 30-something times oh, to get it man. just right. So Which one? Which opening the, scene? The coffee. Coffee, coffee run. 22 coffee run. times. 22 times? Okay. Yeah, they got it on take 22 is what I read. Okay. Wow. I, I thought I saw 36, but maybe it's a different it might scene. Be it's like a three-minute scene. I mean, that's not crazy, but you have to think of all the things that are happening. Yeah. All the, all the, he's, there, he's like walking like down two blocks. It, there's so, and it's a long shot too. It's totally unbroken, uh, which makes it even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of reminds me a little bit of like La La Land because that has a lot of long unbroken dance sequences, but those are also a bit different because uh, that one's a bit, that one's, you know, made for the film and it's not always one long unbroken shot. Um, but th- there are, I would say that there is some similarities there with this opening scene because they're long and they're unbroken and they're to music, but that aside, uh, yeah, it's just, it, Edgar Wright is always known, is known mostly for those little details that he puts into his movies, uh, where like at one point when he gets up to talk to the cashier at the coffee place, he pulls out one headphone, he's talking with him, and at the song, it goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, he's also going, yeah, 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 at the same time. Um, it's like those little details that he puts in that I didn't notice until this viewing. Um, when I watched it for this review, I was like, oh, I didn't notice that, that he did that kind of thing. And I remember seeing like just more things about the song in the background when he's walking to get the coffee run. And we do see, um, we do see Deborah walk by um, in this scene uh, when he's getting the coffee. Uh, that I 
Uh, didn't I, I guess I didn't remember it when I first watched it, but we do get to see Deborah, and she'll come back a little bit later um, when he goes to the diner. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny that you had mentioned um, La La Land because uh, apparently Emma Stone was in line to play Debbie. Oh, really? Yeah, I but she that. dropped out to go to La La Land. Okay, oh. so, interesting. Yeah, I guess I missed missed that. Yeah, so, so we. Oh, was that? I was about to say since we're talking it. about coffee, the coffee brand is Octane. Yeah. Ha 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 ha! Octane like in cars. High five! Yeah. Uh, Okay, so what do we talk about next? We want to go into the character of maybe. Now let's talk about that post um, (laughs) heist um, with uh, John Bar John Barlett. I I get his name mixed up all the time. John Bernthal. John John Bernthal. John Bernthal. That's his name. He's a big jerk. Um, let's talk about that. Oh yeah. The opening scene with the sunglasses. Yep. <laughs> He's it, because John Bernthal, he kind of, he kind of like explains to us or like he kind of questions baby where doc answers and kind of gives us like that character development from another person. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, it's not baby saying like, Hey there, I'm baby. And this is like how my life is. I was blah, blah, blah when I was blah, blah, blah. No, it's he's sitting there quietly with his sunglasses on and he's listening to music and um, Doc is answering all the questions that uh, John Bernthal's character, which his name is like uh, Griff. Yeah, um, he's um, he's like he's just mad and he's and but Doc's defending baby. He's like he's a good driver and John Bernthal or uh, Griff's like, oh, I didn't say he was bad at his job. I'm just wondering why he thinks he's better than all of us because he'd. He's just sitting there quietly and just, you know, he's, he's just, I think he's on edge essentially. And this movie is also very character centric too. Like we have these kind of out there characters, um, but they're so important to the story because especially in that third (laughs) act, it starts to become their actions that propel the story forward um, for the most part. Um, And until it's just whittled down to um, what's his name? Buddy and uh, and Baby, and I guess Deborah, but mostly just them two. So this is a very character-centric story. Um, you have very interesting characters like Jimmy Fox will come up later, which I think he is probably the most interesting of all the villains, uh, um, to my own opinion. He's the most threatening in my eyes. He's yeah, like, he's yeah. in your face. He's intimidating. He's scary. I have a different opinion on that, but that's later. Okay. Yeah. Well, go ahead. What, what what do you think, Andrew? So for some reason for me, I wrote this down, but um, seeing actors who have done different things, like uh, like Jamie Foxx, seeing him in different backgrounds, seeing him in this. Seeing him in like Amazing Spider-Man 2 is just yeah, really... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah oh, I, can't, I can't even get into that right so, now. So, so my problem is seeing Jamie Foxx, like I've always had this problem for some reason, but seeing Jamie Foxx and the uh, character that he is kind of just seems like he's trying too hard kind of like um well yeah kind of like Dar- darling in the dinner scene where he just starts clapping at the end of her speech or whatever oh yeah she gave. And, it feels like that but the whole performance now it's just me because other people like his performance i just felt like if they would have picked uh someone else that's less known kind of like they did with uh, buddy and i guess kind of griff and darling because i don't know them as well as actors but i know jamie fox and i know baby yeah, I mean, uh, Ansel. So yeah. my problem is whenever I see him going like, "Oh, you, you baby," he's got is he wrong something like that. I, I kind of like giggle because I'm like, it's a weird performance for me. And if we're t- if we're talking about these like 
characters right now. I just want to say Darling is probably my least favorite character in this entire movie. That I mm, I can kind of agree with that. I, I think her performance is trash. She she really? tries to be like the, yeah, she tries to be like this Harley Quinn. And I like like Buddy's like the Joker and she's like Harley Quinn, but I, I just don't it's cringy. That's what I, I feel I, the, like the for Jamie Foxx. We're like, he, I don't know if he's just like trying too hard, but there's something there where it's just like, it doesn't click for me. Like sure. I keep seeing him. It's just not there. Well, that, that whole scene in the diner. I mean, sure. I can see that whole you scene in the diner. I do understand, uh, darling, not oh, hitting the goodness. standards of I, I her cannot, character. No, not at all. But she's it, sitting there. She's like, don't mess with my buddy. Cause <laughs> if you do that, He's going to see red and you're going to see black. And I'm just like, shut up. Man. Yep. I just, I just sit there and I'm like closing, clenching my fist. I'm like, this is a terrible performance. I, I, it's not scary. She's just annoying. Yeah. I, I guess I can say this. This is, I guess this kind of justifies, um, uh, I guess why I feel a little bit different about the characters. This is kind of playing on some cliches, right? It's taking those cliches, but it's also playing up on those cliches. It's taking the cliches of a heist movie and then playing it up a little bit. So I can kind of buy a little bit of the of the acting from Yumi Fox or Darling being a little bit maybe overacting um, because it's meant to be that way, right? I, I can kind of buy Edgar Wright going down the path of, well, here is what a heist movie would typically be like. So let's try to emulate it. But again, our focus is not necessarily on uh, the heist itself, it's on the getaway driver. Um, so it's taking our focus away from that. So I can kind of see it in that light because again, we're also playing with, uh, we're also in baby's own head. We're in, we're seeing everything from his perspective. Um, so I guess that's my somewhat justification. Although I do agree with you. I don't think that Darling is necessarily my favorite of the villains. That um, I think she's definitely one of my least favorite criminals that, uh, or yeah, these favorite these favorite criminals that are in this group with Doc and Baby, um, but I can at least justify it to that extent that it is being played up on purpose. And I'm still trying to figure out because we're still on the topic of these these villains and these characters why it was. I mean, maybe you guys have like your reasoning behind it. I I don't. I'm not sure why, but I I'm just still curious as to why Buddy was like that last confrontation with baby and not doc or something because doc was like this is the way i feel doc is a oh what's called neutral mm. kind of character like a father figure almost but not like, a, not a follow figure but more of a neutral character whereas okay. in he's not changing and we we're kind of introduced okay, yeah. that way and i don't think we're well, Led, that, I don't. Is he actually not changing because at the end he decides to help baby not in the, the way well well that's like saying like so when people create environments, they create in a film, they create good and bad. They create the morals and how we see it. So a lot of the times the killing in this movie is seen as bad, but all the driving and all the jazzy stuff that baby does is seemed not. It's bad. Yes, but it's not getting your hands dirty. Like um, Griff talked about to baby in the beginning telling yeah. him that he's going to have to get his hands dirty because we're given that part to, Oh, what's his face? Jimmy Fox's character. No, Joe. Oh, Joe. Yeah. Joe's the one that sees that driving is bad mm -hmm. because he's of his dirty money and all that jazzy stuff. Whereas baby, yes, he sees it as bad to what he's doing, but he still likes to drive. So I feel like 
what they've created is I lost track of where I was going. I definitely <laughs> was talking you about and your ADHD. I know I was following and then I got caught so you on were, what his name, what yeah, Joe's you're name was. You talking about how uh, you think Kevin Spacey's character Doc is more of a neutral character. Oh, okay. Too much. Is where, you began. You, where was I going with that? Okay. So, well, I kind of got, well, okay, because, so we because about, Buddy is the final conversation yeah, Buddy, and not Doc. So yeah. Buddy seems like an on and off friend to baby. Cause he seems like his friend when someone's picking on him, and then when they're leaving the elevator for the first time, he goes, do me a favor, baby, and don't come back. And then Kevin Spacey's like, don't listen to him. Yeah. So if like Kevin Spacey isn't, I don't, f- I feel like Kevin Spacey is the one that's not going to change. Whereas Buddy is the one that completely flips mm. on baby, but it's because baby changes too. Yeah, I guess, okay, here's my thoughts. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying a little bit ago when I was thinking, when I was saying that I think Baby's character, Baby is trying to free himself from the clutches of Doc, right? He's trying to make his own decisions, um, partially helped by Deborah's character. Um, I can kind of see it here with, uh, with, uh, with Buddy's character, right? I can kind of see because Buddy already has a, a relationship, right? He's talking about at one point, he's talking about how he wants to go back and he wants to get married again in Las Vegas or whatever. Um, so I can kind of see maybe that playing a role where since ba- Baby is looking for freedom, Buddy is the one who's stopping, who's halting that progress from him being able to leave and finally be free. Originally, I thought it was Doc. Like, you know, Doc should be the one that... Uh, should be the final boss, or at least I would expect it to be that way, as we were talking about. But um, because he's kind of the one who's holding back our main character, he's holding back Baby from being free. Like he, if we feel from the very beginning, even after and, and and after he pays off Doc, that he is under the hand of Doc. Doc is controlling him regardless. So I can kind of see it more as uh, when you look at it from Buddy's perspective. Um, Buddy was in love. And then baby took that away from him, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe if living in a life of crime, this could be where uh, baby would go down, uh, a warning sign for him. Maybe it could be that route. I I kind of like that it does. It's not necessarily saying, oh, baby has to take out the head guy. He has to take out Doc in order to be free. Not necessarily. It's more of the people that he's worked with. He has to get away from the people that he's worked with before he can be free. Mm-hmm. Because, because Doc, even though Doc is a father figure of his, um, definitely, and I guess it's more of uh, Buddy's character being the more threatening one, as you were saying, Andrew. Yeah. So I do agree on uh, Doc being a father figure, but it's more along the lines of Doc's already lived the life, kind of, that Baby's living. And so when the girl does show up at the end, like, come on, baby, let's go, then Doc's like, Ugh. Yeah. Take your mama song and leave. Kind of like that. So I see like, I felt like I saw Doc seeing himself in Baby. Now, yeah. it's obviously not just like thrown at you, but I feel like the way he talks about Baby is the way that maybe Doc was back in his prime or whatever that was. So I felt like there, obviously there would be more I don't know if more tension, but obviously there would be tension if it was between Doc and Baby. I don't know what to say about it because it was it. I understand. Uh, I'm going off. 
someone take over. Okay. <laughs> I lost track a long time ago. <laughs> okay. uh, so let me go back and let's just talk solely about Buddy's character because Buddy is a character that feels like he either fully loves something or he fully hates something um, because there is a conversation. Um, I guess the best scene to explain this would be when they're at the at Bose Diner and uh, Darling talks about how Buddy's going to, you know, if you look at me wrong, Buddy will kill you or whatever. Um, kind of explains that Buddy is in love with Darling, clearly, but if he needs to, he'll get his hands dirty and he'll kill somebody, you know, just flat out, just kill him. Um, so I can kind of maybe see uh, his character being something that's either one or the other. Um, it's I either love something or I hate something, right? There are very, it seems to be, seems to be very little that goes down the middle of that road. Maybe kind of fits in within that groove, maybe. Um, but it isn't until he blames Darling's death on uh, Baby that he switches sides and Baby now becomes more, I guess, on his hit list. Um, and he like, essentially vows that he's going to kill Baby from that point. So I can kind of see it as his character is more uh, black and white than maybe the rest of these characters or even with Baby because, you know, again, he's either I love it or I'm going to kill it. That's how I'm seeing his character. Yeah, I like that black and white analogy to him. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. Mm -hmm. All so. right, well, let's yeah. So let's move on. Tell me where you what do you want to move on to? Well, after that heist, we get to see um, baby in his home life, his foster care. Mm -hmm. uh, he's in an apartment with this um, d deaf uh, wheelchair ridden black man named Joseph, who uh, they communicate through sign language. And um, there's a little bit of something special there. They both have uh, ear problems. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's a genuine connection there. And that plays a huge role in it. Uh, the way they communicate, the way um, the way the baby takes care of him, uh, their little, their little, um, just their little quips at each other, essentially. It's, uh, it's just, it's just nice to watch. It's, and you get to kind of see baby in a real sense rather than yeah. in a heist sense. And this is like our first time really getting to see that. And like, Oh wow, he is human. He's not where he's supposed to be. All right. Yeah. And I can kind of see Joseph as like the father that, uh, that baby never had. Right. Cause we do get to see from flashbacks. Uh, his dad didn't look to be put out in the best light. It was his mom who had, uh, who all he always looked up to the most. But his father looks to be a bit more on the abusive side. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of see while Doc at the same time maybe a father figure to baby, um, maybe it's more of like that more abusive side, but necess not necessarily outrightly so. Uh, more of like a subtler, subtly, a more subtle version of it, right? He's like controlling of baby more so than what his father was before. Um, in a different light again. And Joseph is more of that good side of his father, right? Joseph feels feels like he genuinely cares for baby. And that's because he's his, fo he's his foster father. And uh, it also is kind of funny because typically when you hear about a foster father, it's always some nightmare story. Um, that's just a cliche. But either way, you do get to see like this genuine relationship between these two, genuine relationship between these two characters. And you kind of get to see how Joseph feels more of uh, the again, the father that baby never had, that he wishes he had, and now that he fin now he finally has someone that he can call his dad. Um, even though he may not be blood related, uh, it is still a father figure to him. Absolutely, there's not a lot to that scene with them in there. I mean, it's it's a quick like 
three minute, four minute scene maybe. But um, it's just, it's just that, that new character that's introduced in that new atmosphere yeah. to really introduce this other side of baby. Right. And the, also to that too is it's interesting because uh, we do get to see that there seems to be more bad in baby's life than there is good. Uh, the only thing I guess we can call good in baby's life um, is the relationship with Joseph before um, Deborah enters the picture. Mm-hmm. Right. When Deborah enters the picture, even though it is pretty early on, before we actually I think he even meet uh before we actually meet Joe, um, Deborah shows up, she walks past uh, the frame. So we do get to see that again, the good things in, in baby's life are outweighed by the bad things, right? Doc is feels like he's always over uh, our main character here. Um, even when even after he, after that first act when he pays him off. You get, you know, it's it's this interesting sense that when Deborah enters a picture, it's that freedom that he, the freedom that she brings to him, where he finally is able to make his own decisions, and that's how I, I guess I saw his character. We can get into that in a second, but I always, I, I guess, I saw that as this somewhat of a balancing act between uh, what should I do in the situation, what is good in my life, what is bad, and then we have more more characters entering the picture. And we get to see how those scales end up at the end. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after that scene, we uh, we get to go into Baby's room where we find he had recorded uh, some of what went down in the meeting. However, it wasn't for snitching purposes. It was for pure music creation. Yeah. Um, and it cracks me up because uh, I, I don't do the same thing, but like I, I feel for him in this moment where he's just taking what he heard that day and just applying it to his, his music skills. Um, he took like the, the conversation between, um, it was, it, well, it wasn't bats yet. Bats hasn't been introduced. Um, uh, Griff and doc. Yeah. They're talking about, uh, and I don't like using the R word here, but retarded like that. They, they, he calls baby that, um, and you know, doc kind of defends him. Or is he slow? Is he retarded? And all that kind of stuff. And um, he takes the main part of that conversation, which is, is he slow? And he kind of, uh, he, he puts a beat to it. Yeah. He puts a little bit of a, a disc warble and um, a disc scratch to it. And it just gives a, this like, is he slow? You know, it's kind of going with a... And um, he is not doing it to turn him into the police or snitch to anybody. He has it uh, for his own personal use. He puts it in his personal collection. It's amazing. And yeah. so, and that's kind of, I guess that is this uh, cassette remix collection that he has. Uh, I feel is somewhat of uh, a nitpick for me. Um, it feels like it's more of a plot device there towards the end when they were like, well, what are you recording baby? And they go to his apart or yeah, they go to his apartment and they bring him back and it just seems like it was kind of all for nothing for that whole sequence to play out only because he sure. recorded conversations and whatnot. Um, but that's just a nitpick for me. That's one part of the movie I didn't, I don't really, I didn't really fall in line with. Well, was it all for nothing or is it all for character development and then later used as a plot device brought back? I mean, kind of both, but I'm just saying that uh, I guess it, I'm not, it's not shocking to me that he makes music on the side uh, because he always listens to music. That's that I can. That is totally okay. Um, that 
builds character and whatnot. Um, I think my problem is is that when it gets to us, when it gets to a certain part of the movie, um, Bibi tries to escape. They find a cassette with him. No, they find his uh, recorder with him. And Baby has to explain, well, no, I, I make music on the side. It feels like that whole scene just feels, I don't know, it feels kind of out of place given the rest of the movie because they're like, oh, well, this is suspicious. And then it kind of leads to like nothing, pretty much. It doesn't really lead anywhere in that scene. The only thing really significant is the mom cassette tape. Well, then I feel like it kind of introduces the real side of our main character to the rest of the the uh heist crew though okay which uh is a thought i had is um we have three different sides of baby we have his home life we have his love life and we have his work life right which is kind of how we function as humans we tend to separate those sometimes the love life becomes the home life but when you're young it's home life love life work life right and it's kind of what we got here and then towards the end two of those get thrown together which is his home life Kind of home and home and personal are kind of mixed together, but his home life and his work life kind of get thrown together. So that's just a thought I had. Yeah, and I'm I'm not opposed to them doing that either. I think that just like the lead into it, I never really found to be very satisfying. Again, it is somewhat of a nitpick, so I'm not really holding it too much against the movie. Yeah, but that is something that I did want to bring up when we're, since we're talking about the uh, the music making side of it. Well, I kind of thought it was cool that they used a character. Uh, a way for us to understand the character more as yeah. something that would bring him down. Like it's a physical aspect that would bring him down. It's not like, oh, he's happy all the time and then he gets hit by a truck and now he's very sad all the time. It's he makes music and that's what got him a little bit in trouble. Yeah. Now he was already going to be in trouble because he was leaving, I guess. And he did, didn't really have an excuse for that. Yeah. He was trying to escape with uh, Deborah. He's going to try yeah, and pick her up for yeah. a 2 a.m. road trip. And, if that there was going to be a conversation there, but I feel like it played out better when that physical aspect was brought in. Like, oh, what's this tape player yeah. here for? Yeah, and maybe and I I do kind of like the idea that you know there it is something that he is doing um, that ends up being the thing that gets him in trouble in this scene um, because as we have been talking about, you know, baby doesn't really ever make his own decisions. It feels like. Um, it feels like Doc kind of makes those decisions for him, those big decisions. Um, and so when it gets to this point where, you know, he's under suspicion for recording their conversations and, you know, what is he going to do with it? Uh, it, yeah, you're right, Andrew. It does kind of, you know, given this character aspect, uh, and bringing it back into the movie and how it kind of propels a plot, that's not a problem at all. Um, I, I do like that aspect because again, it's something that he is doing that isn't under the control of Doc. Um, yeah, you just don't like the... Uh, the execution. How it was, yeah, the execution, yeah. which I understand. I think it helps the conversation they were having, though, yeah. because all he was doing was trying to cover up what he was doing. All the, all the characters... Uh, he Baby was just lying about what was going on, and he just was getting called out for it. And then this was something else that was a physical aspect is what I was talking about in that argument. So it becomes, yeah. instead of all this talky talk, then they're like, oh, wait, what is this piece of physical object that I'm holding that right. has our voices on it? Stuff like that. That's the way I saw it. Yeah. All right, Andy, what else do you want to talk about? Ooh. So this is just a bunch of camera stuff. Edgar White likes to film, likes to shoot in film because it feels like it's a, it's what he grew up on. He grew up watching physical films that were, 
on film. Uh, so for this one, they obviously use film with different Panavision uh, millenniums. But in, uh, I guess that's the end scene, and we can't talk about that yet because we're not there. We can talk about whatever you want. Uh, oh, this we isn't this, we want. We're not restricted to following the movie from scene to scene to scene. Um, I like what I like to do is just kind of talk about an aspect that happens at the beginning and talk about how it changes from the moment from different moments in the story, and then doing that kind of a thing. We can talk about we can you, talk about you whatever. Know if you had a shirt on. The listeners, the listeners would never know that I took my shirt off until you start. The records show that he's now taking his pants off. Here they go. Please help me. He's he's <laughs> naked. Oh boys! Hey, guess what? <laughs> Screams, Jim. Anyways, so a lot for a lot of the stuff that they were doing, they just used the film camera. But for the drone shots and for the last um, car chase scene, kind of, it's the one where him and Buddy are fighting in the parking garage. Yeah, it's the is that Brighton Rock. Yes, Rock, yes, yeah, that's the okay. Brighton Rock sequence. Those were both shot on digital. So they used an Aurora Alexa for the drone shots and they used Aurora... No, they used an Aurora Mini for the drone shots and just a regular Alexa. I guess there's not a regular Alexa, but they used an Alexa for the indoors because they couldn't light it without getting... Because it we're moving a lot. So my theory is they couldn't light it without seeing all that. So what they did was they just threw a digital camera in there and boosted the ISO... I want to say to make it look grainy, but they didn't boost the ISO to make it look grainy. They did that in post, probably. Well, yeah, this movie doesn't really have a whole lot of grain to it. There is, though. There, it is there. Bit, it is but. there. But it doesn't look like the film like he grew up on. It doesn't like... Yeah. It's, it's there. The, 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 the grain is there, but it's not like... Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just kind of modern cameras now. It's a modern, modern film, film cameras. Camera, yeah. yeah. They don't have as much uh, noticeable grain. Because yeah. when I was watching... What movie was it? Tenet, I think. I think he shot that fully on IMAX. Most of it, I think almost all of it was filmed on IMAX. I don't think it was because I believe there were a couple shots that were a different ratio. Almost all of it, like I said. Almost okay. all of there, Tenet was I, on IMAX. I noticed there were a couple of shots that yeah. were just a little bit skinnier. Yeah, but no. But uh, that didn't have, I didn't see any grain on that, but that might just be the, the IMAX film, but I don't know. Well, I mean, Dunkirk had grain. That's also true. But that's because that was the whole feel of that movie. Yeah. Whereas Lighthouse Tenet, also had a lot of green too. Well, that's because that was that definite feel of that movie. Yeah, that's that, a complete. Those are com two completely different feels. That was intentional. Yeah, nah, Lighthouse is a completely different work. Yeah, that, that's a completely different conversation. That's a completely different <laughs> conversation. We're not even close to that. Yeah. Anyways, well, I can talk about some music here. I can talk about some colors later. Okay. All right, let's go music first and then colors. Let's jump into some music here. Uh, Actually, Steven, yeah, I do, want, I do want to talk about music, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll, let's dig into the soundtrack and the score. Um, but Stephen Price is the uh, is our guy um, in this, and you guys might know him from Gravity. Yeah, uh, I think that's where I know him from most is Gravity. He did Fury too, right? Yeah, he also did Fury. Yeah, which um, I like both of those. David scores. Ayer, not uh, Edgar Wright, but he also was with. Edgar Wright with Scott Pilgrim. So mm -hmm. I was there. And also I actually learned this um, in my, um, in my digging in before this, uh, but he was in the music department for Lord of the Rings as well. I don't think fellowship of the rings, but definitely two towers and return of the King. So this man's in some bigger. Oh, and also the biggest one of all, Nanny McPhee returns. So yes. the most uh, important movie, the most important one. Um, 
this guy, he's a he's a British composer. Uh, I enjoy his stuff, especially Gravity. Like I really like his his work yeah. in Gravity. Um, but he he's uh he's he's well respected. He's been everywhere, and he he doesn't have a lot to do in this movie though. Um, when he does, it's uh you know the use of some strings here and there. But this movie is fueled by soundtrack. Oh yeah, it's um you know the the action scenes, everything is a soundtrack. It's it's off of pre-existing recorded songs. Um, we can jump into tequila really quick in the, um, in the butcher scene where, you know, they're going to get the weapons and uh, bats, you know, goes, dare I say bats crazy uh, and goes against them. Yeah. Hey, uh, don't boo me. Hey, Hey, I'll destroy boo. all of you. Um, but that was another moment where, uh, when we were talking earlier about the, um, T- timing the character's movements to the beat. I wonder how long this scene took. I couldn't find anything on it, but it, it could all because the gunshots to the to the the downbeats of of things and sometimes the offbeats. Um, but that that I don't know. I couldn't find anything really based on how long it took them to do that. But the editing could definitely have helped with the gunfire uh, and the gunshots do the downbeats. They could have just been aiming the guns over the over the barrels and the of the luggage and right. you know, they could have just added those effects later to go with it, which would have been a lot easier than the and that's actors actually shooting exactly blanks. What they, that's actually and, exactly what they did. And that's what I assumed. Yeah, they it, didn't it actually be, do that live. Some of this they didn't do live. Brighton Rock um was in a more controlled uh I think it was in a more controlled area. Um yeah, I imagine. Tequila <laughs> was one where the muzzle flashes and the bullets were added in yeah. and po- more in post. And that's what I wanted to kind of elaborate on just to make sure so that those who are listening to this knew that because I didn't and now I'm glad I do. But um, that's a that's just a fun sequence because it goes all through that chaos to the, the gunfire happening on the downbeats to guys getting flipped and shot and falling over, uh, Darling getting shot and unfortunately not killed yet, but... Oh, well, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, then um, to that, they're driving away and that explosion happening right on the and yeah. then uh, basking tequila and them driving off like it just that's just a perfect way to end it. It's very stylistic once again. And um, I definitely know Edgar Wright had that all planned the oh, entire yeah, time. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. like I said, the, the choreography for this movie was very tight. It was very meticulous because again, yes. it's, it's all put in music, so it has to be all on beat. Um, but yeah, that, I'm looking at the soundtrack now, um, and this is, I guess, not, not necessarily the score. There really, again, there really isn't much of a score to this. Um, there is some, but not a whole lot. But I'm looking at the soundtrack, um, like you know, Bell Bottoms, Harlem Shake. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because um, you know, when you think soundtrack to a movie, I, I, my mind almost immediately goes to when it comes to Hollywood movies, my mind immediately goes to like something like uh, from Suicide Squad, where it's just a bunch of pop songs thrown well, into it. That was also Stephen Price. Was that? Yeah, Su- Suicide Squad was also Stephen Price. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. But uh, the way my my point is that you know when I think of a soundtrack to a movie, um, with, like having older songs put into the film. Um, for one reason or another, my mind kind of goes to like you know those, those generic pop songs that were in the '80s that everyone knows, like Bohemian Rhapsody or um, what's that one that was in Suicide Squad? Um, uh, Twenty One Pilots. Well, no, oh, that was more that, that was more it. exclusive. Yeah, my bad. Was it Thunderstruck? 
There may have been one in. It had something to do with Queen. Hang on, let me pull it up. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This one. This I guess this is what I mean when I say like those pops, those pop songs. Sympathy for the Devil, um, House of the Rising Sun, Fortunate Son, uh, 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 Seven Nation Army is another one. Um, like these kinds of songs. What I mean is that you know they're just songs that like everyone knows, right? Whether they're from the '80s or the 2000s, they're songs that everyone knows. And there might be a few in here, like I think everyone knows Tequila. Uh, that's a pretty famous song, just in general. But I don't know Egyptian reggae live from uh, Jonathan Rickman and the Modern Lovers. I haven't heard that song until now, and it's a great song. Um, there are a few in here that I I do recognize, like Beck, um, Deborah Beck. I know that one. Um, but my my point is that you know a good majority of the songs in the soundtrack are uh, ones that feel a bit more obscure, and I really do enjoy that because they don't feel like oh we're just putting in the movie because everyone will know it. You know, it's not one of those things. It's more of well, this just fits the mood for uh, for the moment. Intermission I think is a great example of one where it the song itself just continually gets faster and yep. faster and faster until it gets to a next. point. Yeah, or until it gets to a point where it just all just falls apart. And it follows the movie and it sequences up until that point. It's almost, it's a great track to put in there. So I liked, I love this soundtrack a lot. I When I first watched the movie, I think I listened to the soundtrack on repeat for like a month or two because I liked it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and talking about Intermission uh, by Blur, mm-hmm. which is a British pop band. Um, they were famous in the 90s and... Uh, They've they've released I think the most recent thing was 2015 oh, yeah wow. 2015 um so they you know they haven't made it been two years since they had made like a big album or anything um before Baby Driver but they have intermission which starts with that piano and it's almost like circusy and like mm-hmm. carousel like um and that final high scene um out behind the bank. And with the the team going in, leaving baby out there to the the woman that he had seen when he staked the place out with um with Doc's nephew, who obviously did a better job at spectating than than um, baby did. But uh, that whole that whole scene to like she walking by, probably recognizing him and like waving and him like shaking his head, like do not go in there, something's happening, and her realizing, oh my gosh, wait a sec, what's happening? Yeah, um, you could hear the music progressively getting faster. The rain on the window start like there's like a raindrop that goes. I don't know if I could pick up. There it yeah. is. <laughs> yep, I made that sound. Um, hitting the hitting the windshield right on the downbeat, uh, to the windshield wipers like progressively getting faster to the music. Yep, to them running out like, uh, let's go, let's go, and um, but. Uh, because you know, baby warned the lady. She went and got a security guard. He came out and uh, he, he started looking at baby. And then out comes Bats, shoots the guy. Something that baby is very not okay with. So mm-hmm. what does he do in return? Drives the car right into the pipes in the truck in front and just spikes Bats right in the chest, killing him yeah. pretty much instantly. And that is just it builds up to that moment, and then there. They're out of there and they're running and it is just so intense. Like for, I remember watching that that first time my jaw was like on the floor, like, whoa, yeah, it was so good. I, 
it was so effective. I yeah. loved it. Uh, again, that, that kind of goes to what I'm just saying is that the, the musical choices in this film are like almost like they're practically perfect for, um, because of how uh, how well they play into the scene that they're a part of. Um, again, intermission for from Blur is a great example. Um, even even a more popular song like Brighton like Brighton Rock from Queen, it, it works great in the um, in the last sequence there. So yeah, I, even though again some of these songs are a bit more on the pop on the pop side um, that all Americans would know, there are like, the songs that are a part of the soundtrack um, feel like they're a part of Baby's world. Like they really feel like they're a part of his world. Like he, it feels like he's listening to so many songs that uh, some of his favorites that we hear in the movie are ones that are a bit more obscure. They're not as popular as like you know everything from queen or whatever so that's i think i, I think that's why i end up like i love the subject so much it's not because it just has all these great songs to it that have stood the test of time more to the fact that there are songs that feel like they they mean something more to this character and they play so well into these scenes they feel like they're like almost as if they're made for these scenes in right. some ways which is you don't ever you don't ever really get you don't ever really see that Mm-mm. no and then even Throughout the movie, there's there's also moments where there's the absence of music. Yeah. And I picked up on this while watching it this time around. Guess what's happening in those absence of music scenes? Yeah, it's the ringing. You hear the ringing yeah. of the, of the was it, tinnitus? Yeah, and yeah, that happens tinnitus. from the beginning, too, when you yep. when the sun logo comes up and the gleam happens. Yeah. It starts there. There is the ring from the tinnitus, like, playing as if we are hearing what baby hears. So. Yeah, and I mentioned this. Um, I've mentioned this a couple of times in previous podcasts, um, older ones, more more. They're they're older, more older podcasts. I mentioned that sometimes we watch a movie, Corbin and I, where it's just like a constant barrage of sounds, like just always in your face about it. Um, but it's kind of weird because Baby Driver is a movie where this clearly is happening. There is not really a dull moment necessarily when it comes to sound in this film. There's always something happening. And mm-hmm. when there's something happening, there's a ringing happening. Yep. Um, but it's also where I, I don't feel so drained when I watch it. I don't feel like that I, I like, you know, this movie is just too much. It's like a sensory overload for me. I never really feel that because I think that uh, I think Edgar Wright does a good job at like mixing in more slower songs. Like uh, I think it's called Baby that's in this soundtrack. Um, we also got Easy by the Easy. Commodores. Yeah, there's there. He does a good job at like uh, slowing it down when yeah. he needs to. And even though there is constantly always there being sound, it's not annoying. Right. Right. It's it's a good balance. It's it's just pleasing. Mm. Well, Andrew, do you want to talk about color or should yes. we get into Deborah? Yeah, let's talk about color first and then we'll hop into Deborah. Okay, so they they very much eh, they very much uh use the primary colors in this in this film along with the color yellow, which is very weird. Mm-hmm. So, uh a lot of the times they're using red as the primary color, like a prominent color the, the the most of the cars he drives are red in a way so the first car he drives is red the last car he i mean not the last last car but the last car in the heist he also drives is red no he steals it the one with the baby inside that yeah, one's red. that one's red that yeah. one's red that's the second heist the um i mean he wears a red goodfellas t-shirt it's just stuff like that no, he does. He steals a red charger at the end. 
to drive it to the where Doc is. That's right, he does. That's what I was thinking yeah, of. He does. And then there also is a little bit of pink. I can't remember where it was though. Then there is green, where there are two the two um primary sets that we are in are both green so the main place where the bad guys are meeting the meeting place is the bottom half is green the top half is white the house that he lives in all the walls are green for the most part they're and i think they're the same green if i'm not mistaken they're like a lighter like a lime, not a lime like a mint green and then it might be the lighting change that makes it look a little bit darker in the meeting whatever the meeting place is and then blue blue is kind of everywhere else that red and green aren't. So we do have our primary colors in the laundry mat. Yep. We have red, we have yellow, and we have blue. Blue is the color that makes up everything that red and green don't. So the cabinets, the I think the ceiling is somewhat blue, but mostly the walls and stuff like that. Everything else is blue that's not in the washing machine. There is green in the washing machine, though. Uh, yes, you there's do a see, green, you there's do a, green a green clothing clothing thing. Item. Yeah, I'm getting tired too. <laughs> Anyways, so color starts to become simplified, I think, as the movie progresses, where our main character is wearing red, or our main antagonist, no, not our main antagonist, Bats, is wearing red. The... Does... What's his face wear red? Buddy? Not Buddy. No, Buddy never wears red. He mostly wears black. Eddie. Eddie? Eddie? Eddie. No nose. JD. No nose Eddie. Eddie no nose. <laughs> What's this line? Uh, hang on, I got <laughs> to remember the line. That's, a, that's an Eddie knows, knows, no nose. Hang on, no, I got it written down. Uh, this is Eddie no nose. Why? What happened? Don't ask me. It's a no nose, no, no, page one question. <laughs> That's beautiful. Not to mention, like, right after it goes to that, this is JD. He pushed the Asian in Home Invasion. Like, I, yeah. I love that, too. <laughs> Anyways, I lost track of where I was getting at. Well, we're still talking about the color. I think people die because they wear red. Ta-da. Good, Andrew. Good. But well, all the cars he drive are red, mm-hmm. yeah. for the most part. Yeah, that big old switcheroo in the very beginning heist. Started mm-hmm. with a red car. Yep. And then they always end with primary color cars, not some weird offset, unless he steals a car during mid heist. Like he steals a purple one. Then he's either got to another one. Yeah, but he's either got gray or blue or white. Edgar Wright must just have a thing for colors because, fun little fact, after this, he went on to direct Beck's song Colors, which is oh, a really good yeah. song. Oh. So anyway. Well, I mean, he has the same cinematographer, so they're always talking. Anything else? Yeah. Anything else from Covers Andrew? I do not know what else to say. So I would like to talk about the, the love interest and like the similarities the between the two of interest. them. Yeah, let's talk about Deborah now. Deborah's Deborah's turn. Um, 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 Deborah, Lily, Lily James. Yeah, we we meet her immediately. Yes, she walks by the coffee shop and uh, baby notices her. But you know, she goes. He goes to the diner that his mom used to work at, and there she is, and she's just leaving it all out on the table for him. She's like. Oh man, she's, she's, ba- she's basically yeah. saying, "Kiss my mouth right now. Take me out on a date." Yeah, and you know he's he's picking up on it, but he's you know they're they're he's being cautious. Yeah. But yeah, no, she is trapped. They're both trapped in different senses. I think um, he is trapped in this life that he doesn't want to be in, um, but he has to pay it off. And she's trapped in this diner life where. She also doesn't want to be in. Also doesn't want to be yeah. in. And she wants to be on the road like he does. 
with no plan and the car. Well, he puts that later in the car. They can't afford, but they don't have a plan. They just, they want to both go. And, um, you, they both immediately start talking about music and how, Oh, I need to listen to the songs that have my name in it, Deborah and all that. And he's like, Oh baby. And she's like, Oh, you have baby in every single song. It's like, listen for the rest of your life or whatever she says. And you know, I, Lily James, she's she did a good job in this movie, but yeah, I uh, Tom doesn't think she's as hot as Baby puts her out to be. I, I, don't, I just don't think she's that good of an actress. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, I'm not going to get into that because what if she like listens to this and then sues me for know. my freedom of speech? <laughs> but anyway, um, no, she uh, she and Baby immediately like hit it off, and um, then they end up going on that fancy date to the finest wine and dine in all of town. Finest wine and dine in all. Yeah, um, where we learn, you know, from there, um, we learn baby's still on because Doc won't let him leave. And um, even Doc sees her and says, she's pretty. Let's keep it that way or something like that. I can't remember. It's yeah, like, I think it's exactly what it like, says. It, it, she's pretty. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it says. Um, so, yep. And then the laundry mat scene, they go and they go through that. And, you know, he kind of starts falling in love from there. But, yeah, no. Lily James as Deborah, she is, she's just his wingman at this point. She's, she's rooting for him. She's waiting for him. Everything. Or Tom, you could say she's just along for the ride. Get out. Get out. Get out. Is mine worse than Tom's? Get out. out. Was mine worse than Tom's, bud? Yeah. I'm upset. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, no, I, I do agree with you. I think that uh, it's, again, I, I think I, I, I mentioned this earlier. It's that sense of freedom that she brings, right? She's like, I want to, I just want to drive somewhere. I don't really care what we're doing. You know, I don't really care what, if we have a plan or not, or, you know, whatever. She, her plan, what she wants to do is she wants to be free from, you know, having to go to work every day, working at a dumb diner, which she had to get a job for, for who knows what reason, right? It, she, she instills this sense of freedom into into baby and it kind of gives him a taste as to you know what freedom feels like you know so that's kind of i that's how i see it is she becomes in my mind she kind of becomes the driving force for a baby to start making his own decisions mm-hmm. when it gets to that ending mm-hmm. yeah the driving force alan <laughs> <laughs> I get out my turn to leave yeah but anyways let's uh let's Still talking about her and uh, baby. Let's talk back to that diner scene where Bats makes them pull over and go to that diner. Um, and this is after the uh, after the butcher, I believe. Yep. Um, so they're all kind of beaten up and shaken up and all that kind of. And the you know baby just wants to go home. And next thing you know, uh, Bats is like, "No, nah, you know, let's pull over to this diner." And baby knows she's there working. He's like, "No." And he's like, "Stop the car!" And they end up going in. And she's excited to see him, but he makes one quick look at her and just keeps walking because he cannot let them know um, that she is existent in his life. And so she, you can tell she knows immediately something's up. So, yeah, when I first watched it, I was wondering, you know, like, is this going to turn into one of those scenes where it's the misunderstanding scene between the couple 
where he has to act a certain way for whatever reason, and she reads that as something completely opposite. And then when they rejoin, she's like, I guess I'm just not important to you. He's like, yeah. no, but... I was well, I was wondering if it was going to go down that route. Oh, it doesn't. I, would, I wouldn't hate that, but yeah. no, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. She's she continues to be like that understanding, like I want to be with you, kind of a figure. Mm-hmm. And, and she, I mean, again, she does, you know, know that he's doing something that right. might not be legal necessarily. But she's so trapped that she follows him mm-hmm. to the very end. Like they take off and they go, and um, she literally watches him. Then she watches baby shoot buddy right there at the diner uh, later on in the film after, after darling is killed in the shootout in the parking lot and all that. And then that's when they, like she watches him like just go off and kill him and then, or not kill him. They didn't, he didn't die yet. Shoot him. And then they run off and steal another car. And uh, the guys are, you know, in the, I think it was like a Mustang or something. They're sitting in the car and charger. Is a charger? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Red. That was my second, my second choice. But um, he holds the gun to them. They're like, "Oh, have you ever just shot a gun before?" And he said, "Yes, I have." And then she's like, "As of five minutes ago, I feel like that was like not scripted." Oh, yeah. And I, I just imagine Edgar Wright like saying, "Like, cut. All right, stick to the script <laughs> and action." It's like, "Have you ever fired a gun before?" Yes, I have. As of five minutes ago, stop, cut, cut, stop trying to be funny, kind of a thing. She's, she's, and that, that for me is just her acting was just not believable. I just don't think she's sorry. Yeah. Anyway, and I, I feel like I'm just like attacking the women now. Holy cow, Tom, what you got? What do I got? Mm. Oh well, no, I respect women. I just think that the two ladies actors in this film are not believable. That's all I can say. Got him. All right. Uh, any, any so, yeah. anything else to bring up before we wrap up? Uh, the thing, the way I see it is that um, baby changes or baby's baby's character for us changes as the movie goes, obviously. But baby's character for Deborah changes in an instant. Because Deborah doesn't know anything about baby, like his work side. And then his work side kind of implodes on his love side. So, so that's the three babies we got. His work his home kind of starts his slides into his work and then his love life also slides into his work. And that's why you don't date at work. Good job, Andrew. No, that wasn't where I was going, okay. but it's just, I, I saw it as a little bit strange that when Deborah starts actually meeting baby, he annoys her at first, then doesn't come to pick her up and then shoots a guy in her diner and then shoots the same guy in the knee later. And mm-hmm. then, he falls off and dies and she's just still along with him. It's a bit exaggerated, but it's love. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that this movie does take those cliches and plays them up. Um, So I, yeah, you're right. You know, why would she stick with him after that? Even after he, she, even after he shows that he's killed a guy. Um, It's like that. Is that desire for freedom? Like that strong. That yeah. you, you're willing to go on the run for somebody you've known for like a week. Maybe. Right. Right. And it may have been longer. The 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 sense of time in this isn't exactly stated right. for us. But either way, um either way, yeah. The fact that she still sticks with him even after she sees that he's well he can is capable of killing somebody. Um, you know, it's one of those things. And again, 
this movie does like to play up as cliches. So I can, again, I can kind of buy it to a certain extent. So, I mean, that doesn't, re- I don't really count that against the movie that much anyways. No, I just thought I was curious. Yeah. I, anything else to bring up before we wrap up? There's three X structures. Okay. You know, there's also three heists. There's what? There's three, three X structure. Oh yeah, there's three heists. A three act structure. Hey, I heard. Hey, I heard three directors no. and three heists. I, I, I heard. What? I heard three structure. I three heard structure. three egg stressors. Three three eggs. Three, three egg eggs Benedict. Three eggs Benedict. Benadryl cabbage patch. Benadryl. Benadryl cabbage Tylenol patch. Penicillin. So there's a three-act structure within a story, whereas the first part we're introduced in the second act two is where we introduce all the characters and the plot that starts moving in motion that brings us to act two, where kind of all the middle part, you know, everyone knows about the act three-act structure. Well, it kind of works, kind of, with the heists. The first heist, we are welcomed to our character, but he's doing a heist, and he ends up being smart because he figures out how to get out of the heist, and he can drive. That's all we know about baby. And then we meet his home life. And then we're also kind of introduced to love life a tiny bit. Act two, there's another heist where, yes, we see him in the same light, but it's more of a close encounter kind of light. So he is changing still. He's with a different set of characters that drive him to be more of a different person. But he also pushes back because he is his own person, obviously, but in the realm of mafia or whatever they're in heisting. And then the the third act, the third heist that he goes down is completely different than the rest of them. It's one that doesn't end the way it's supposed to end. It takes these turns and waves. And so it becomes this completely different um, ending to where it's supposed to end it all clean. And so there's three acts, three heists. Ta-da. That's it. I just... Yeah, no, I, I do think that there is a definite connection there. Yeah. Um, having, you know, the three-act structure uh, also being tied to the number of heists that we do get to see. And we got to get to see, like, the progression, too, of baby's state of mind from one heist to the next to the next, right? Because once the second heist comes up, you know, he's already starting to question, you know, how much he's willing to go along with it. He feels as if this is his last one anyways. Um and it doesn't go right, right? It, it, the the heist, even though from what we saw before in the first one, it went pretty much as perfectly as it could. And the second one, it feels like it's almost all over the place and they had to improvise on the spot. Um, and because of that, there is one of the uh, criminals leaves his shotgun behind. Um, and then at the very end, you see Baby finally just breaks free and he like breaks away from the structure that has been set up for him to complete the heist. He breaks away from it and goes off on his own. Yeah, no, I think there's a definite connection to make between the three heists and three and the the structure of the movie. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, Tommy, what are your what is your rating and final thoughts of Baby Driver? This is a fun movie. Um it's not really what you'd expect. Like you you might go into it thinking that it's a a classic heist action movie. Um, but it is not like Ryan Gosling's drive. It is, it is more musical, more, I guess, spontaneous and stylistic and more artsy nonetheless. So I enjoy it. I recommend it for 
any any kind of movie lover because it's just got something for everybody, I think. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10, and it's a definite yes for me. Andrew. Like Tom, it is a very fun movie to watch. Uh, the editing also obviously was something for me to watch because it's always on point with everything that they do. Even with the stuff inside of the scenes that has nothing to do with editing, just camera movement is also on point. So there's a lot of degrees in where they obviously push for where they didn't, where a lot of blockbusters just don't care as long as they're, the characters are different. Like Oceans 1 through 14 are all kind of the same. So they they move to a different perspective. They move to a different way of telling a story that we have all heard. And then they bring in extra stuff around that. And then they put a lot of character stuff in it. I'm getting somewhere. Anyways, yes. A very high recommend. It's a very fun movie to watch. Even if you don't understand all the film stuff, it's still just fun to watch because it's very well put together. I will give it uh, an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think you guys kind of already said what I was about to say, too. Uh, it's just a fun movie to watch. And even for like a filmmaker, somebody who is versed in film uh, and kind of knows how the inner workings, you know, how they how those go, seeing a movie like this is still very impressive. You know, I think for me, the most impressive part, and as we talked about to, to a much extent, is how it's like almost as if it's... Uh, all of it is tracked to songs, right? Tracked to songs and that are in the movie, but it was built around those songs, like almost as if they were laid on the on the timeline and they just weaved in, they just weaved in and out the scenes um, according to that. Uh, it makes it for a very feels like a very organic experience when it comes to the what action is happening on scene to uh, what song is playing in the background for a number of sequences. And that makes this for me interest. It makes it really interesting and unique because you never really see you never see a movie like this. You know, sometimes you'll have a movie like a sequence will have, you know, a song playing and things will happen on beat. Right. But not a, but not a movie that's like that's built around this idea of action equals audio. Um, it makes it for a very interesting, interesting experience. And I think that's why I keep coming back to it is because it's very satisfying to see this kind of filmmaking happen. You Again, very unique um, when it comes to this aspect. So it's and all around. It is very fun. Um, I do very much enjoy it. So I think I'm also going to give it an eight out of 10 um, solid recommend from me. Okay, well, that wraps up our review of Baby Driver. Um, now, next week, it'll be just be Andrew and I reviewing Swiss Army Man. Tommy will not be here for that, For be here for that one. I will not. Yes, but the week after that, we'll talk about Scariest Stories to Tell in the Dark, uh, which spooky is... Spooky season. Yeah, that's when that will kick off our spooky season. Halloween movies. Yeah. And I'm, really, I'm actually quite excited for that. I've heard like nothing about it. Um, Me neither, which is why I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. I've seen previews for it, and yeah. I've seen it looks very terrifying. Yep. I also don't want to like get my hopes up because I know that there are mixed reviews on it. Yeah, I yeah I have heard like nothing, which is a uh, good and bad sign for yep. me because if I have heard nothing about it, then that usually means that it's either subpar or not. But we'll see. Um, I always I, can find a hidden gem somewhere. Yeah, you never know. Um, so we'll see when we get to that. Uh, but after that, we'll hop right into, which I'm also very excited for, the Narnia trilogy. Um, Our childhood. Yes. I'm very excited to talk about at least the first one. 
Um, I haven't seen the second one since it hit theaters. Uh, yep. Prince Caspian. Oh I haven't seen that. 2007. Yeah, it has been way too long. So I remember like wow. nothing from it. Wow. I remember a scene, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, so yeah, that's what's coming up the next few weeks. I'm very excited for next week because uh, Andrew loves Swiss Army Man. I haven't seen he it yet. He keeps bugging me to watch it, and I haven't you done haven't it yet. Seen it. I, I want Tom to watch it because I did. It's so you have. Yeah, I said did I show it. you it? Yes, we all watched it. Ah, uh, yeah, I wasn't there. Tom and I'm. Have, and I feel like Tom would have should, a lot to say about the score. I, I do but at the same time it's just the movie itself is just not for me that's all i can say i can't believe it i feel like it would be perfect for him it it's i know i'll let you guys go into the details of it but i will just say right now first and foremost like it's it's wacky but i it's had wacky. issues with it i had trouble following it and it's just not for me i guess yeah. well again if you tune in next week, you'll be able to hear Andrew and I talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, look forward to that. Uh, Andrew, Tommy, thank Alan. you for joining me. You're welcome, Alan. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I love doing this. All right, uh, listeners, we'll see you next week with Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man. Swiss Cheese. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. All right, plot summary time. After successfully evading the police to the tune of Bell Bottoms by John Spencer Blues Explosion, maybe grooves to Harlem Shake. Oh, no. Not Harlem Shake. Mm -hmm. Alan, what are you? Harlem Shuffle <laughs> is the name of the song. Between Jobs, Baby Starts and Between Jobs, Baby Starts. How are you, you doing? Just breathe, please. How are you doing? I'll have to show you. Sometime I'll have to show you the original recordings of when I do the, the background info. Oh. It's a mess. I think I start like 
every sentence like four times before I finally just get on the track and just go. And I find one that's think about with. what you're saying. Don't always well, uh, no, the think problem less, is do I more. talk yes. so fast. That's the problem. God. Okay, where was I? Is Baby yeah. Driver a true story? Yes. It, what? It is? Baby Driver is one yes. of the few movies coming out this season that isn't part of an existing franchise based on a book or TV show inspired by the true events. Huh. Idiot. Didn't think we were... <laughs> Whatever. All right. What do we want to talk about next? We want to go into the character of Baby? Let's bow, bow, bow. Why don't we go into that post? Uh, out. Uh, out. Why don't we go Why? into that? Yeah, what, what? Oh, 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 oh. You are a shirtless man. What is wrong with you? No, it's the stuff from Inside Louis Dibson. Ow, ow. You shoot. Space. Space. Now let's talk about that post um, <laughs> heist. And yellow is when you mix uh, red and green together, which is odd. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what was that? What did you say? Did I say yellow is when you mix red and green? Yeah, yellow is, is so yellow incorrect. Is, yeah, yellow That's is when purple. you mix. No, purple is when you mix red and blue together. Yellow is a primary color. Yellow you is can't. not a. A yellow is a pigment. Yellow is a pigment. I believe. Look up primary colors. You get blue, red, green, blue, and red. Red, blue, green. Red, blue, RGB, baby. Look at them type. Hear them type, boys and girls. Oh, no. See? Green and red make yellow. I state my case. Now I forgot what I was talking. It's, it's <laughs> almost midnight and I'm tired. And <laughs> Is that real? Yeah, that's it. Yellow and green make ye- red and green make yellow. Yes. No, that's not right. <laughs> I no, that's the color of light. <laughs> this isn't this isn't happening. No, red and green. Red and green do not make yellow. I do not believe that for a second. Yellow is a primary color. Yellow is a primary Red, blue, color. Yellow. You can't mix anything to make Dang yellow. It. No wonder I'm so confused. Good grief. I was about to throw a fit. <laughs> I was throwing a fit because the first picture I was looking at was green and here I am. Uh, here I am sitting in here reading. because red and green. All right, let me back up then. Yellow. Let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. Like four brains minutes ago. Fry. That took too much brain. <laughs> <laughs> I saw green. I was like, green's a primary color. So I put it in there is because red, yellow, and blue. I learned that. Well, green is green. Green is green is an understanding for empathy. So putting it in both the meeting place and at home, there's empathy shown there. By our main characters, which is Joe, Baby, and Doc. Doc shows empathy mostly towards Baby when people are being mean to him. And then there's just empathy thrown all about in the house. I guess that's where I got it from. Anyways, Alan, we should do like a 2 a.m. podcast. We should watch Speed Rage and go straight into a podcast after that. Oh, that would be weird. That would be so beautiful, though. Like we should just get like up. super tired or something. We should stay up the night before, then at midnight the next night, watch Speed Eraser and go straight into a podcast. Like just hop up on uh, double shot. It's double yes. shots from. No, I don't even Starbucks. think. No, 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 no. Just watch. I don't it. want the energy. I want if like, you watch fusion of Alan. what we're talking. <laughs> I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think you understand. If of you the ne- fatigue, okay. if you never watch Speed Racer at three a.m., no, it's I a haven't. trip show in itself. <laughs> I watched You've it. Seen Speed Racer, I watched right? it at nine a.m. and I thought I was like about to fall asleep. <laughs> Speed I thought Racer I was in a fever dream. Speed Racer at three a.m. is it's, it's right. completely different. And it, I know we're getting off topic. Ladies and gentlemen, the next podcast is the Rankin Boys.
coming to you at 2 a.m. from after watching. I can't believe that the, speed the directors of the Matrix, the Wachowskis, <laughs> were the ones who directed that Speed Racer as <laughs> if did? it was like Shark Boy and Lava Girl or like Well, Spy now Kids. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though. The cinematographer for this did the Matrix. Ta-da. Ta-da. Like, and he also did the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolution and Return to the Matrix or whatever they call it. Oh, the... He did all those. Okay. He's yeah. a lovely man. I feel like he also did like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but I know he didn't. Cause Charlie he didn't. and the Chocolate Factory or all the way back in the 70s? I don't know. Charlie right. and the Chocolate Factory would be the one with Tim Burton. That's the newest one. Yeah, and it's, yep. that's it's not five. what he did. It's 2005. Five. 2005. Seems like a good year for movies like that. That was a good year. Oh, we also did Spider-Man 2, Tom. He did the cinematography for that. He's yeah. a le- he's a legend. He's a legend. But he also did a... Hang on, wait, wait. What was it called? What was it called? He also did a Bedazzled. I don't know what it is either. It's on here, though. All right, well, let's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we stop. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's are we still on colors or are we 